Have you got a favourite animal? Who's got a favourite animal? Anyone? What's your favourite animal? We got this one on? Um, David, can you put this one on as well? Yep. What's your favourite animal? Ah, here he is. Tiger. Ah, we heard at that time. A tiger. Why do you like tigers? Okay, not sure. Yeah? I'm not sure. Not sure, okay. Well, my favourite animal is the eagle. The eagle. And I've got a picture of the eagle here. <clears throat> there is the eagle. God created the eagle. And the Bible is full of references to the eagle. All kinds of things to do with the eagle. It's a majestic bird. If you've seen an eagle flying in the, in the sky, there might be a picture of an eagle flying. I think, there we are. Look at the wings there. Just awesome. Just gliding up there thousands of metres, kilometres up in the sky. You know, we watched a, a wedge-tailed eagle at Hillsville Sanctuary, and it was a dot. must have been a few kilometres up. And a little parrot that was flying around knew it was up there and went scuttling into the, into the bushes. <laughs> was frightened. The awesome eagle. Now, there's something about the eagle. We go back to the previous um, slide. The eye of the eagle, the eye of the eagle is extraordinary. You know, <clears throat> there's a... A slide, I think the two, a uh, couple of slides away, is it the slide with the words on it? There we go. Look at this. Who can read this out? Would you like to read it, Zoe? God created every eye and every creature of the world with light sensitive sensory cells. It is these cells which send the Im image to the brain's nervous system to interpret, allowing us to see. Humans have 200,000 cells per square millimeter of retina while eagles have around one million, million cells for the same area <sighs> eagles have a million five times more cells per millimeter to see things now an eagle can spot a tiny rabbit or a rodent Three miles away, that's about five kilometres away. Let's have a look. There's, there's an eagle flying. That eagle has a camera on its back. It can spot down there a tiny little rodent and dive down and take it. Eagles have this amazing ability to see things other people can't see, other animals can't see. Their eyes have been created by God for this purpose. Now, that's a, a golden eagle coming down to take that rabbit. But then there's also the bald eagle. In America, they love this bald eagle. It's one of their symbols. And bald eagles fly kilometres above lakes. And they look down and they see fish. Fish that other people couldn't see. And they dive down and they grab them. Their eyesight is incredible. 
Now, what is it about our eyes that's incredible? Do you know, if you close your eyes and you keep them closed and you don't open them, try and walk down those steps. No, don't. (laughs) Because you'll be in trouble. Our eyes are so important. They're the receptors that take in all sorts of things. But you know, the Bible today had a verse in it that said God had given us eyes in our hearts. What? Eyes in our hearts? To see things. Well, there's a story. There's a story in the Old Testament about Elisha and the Syrian army. Here's Elisha and the Syrian army. And Elisha was able with the eyes of his heart, not with these eyes, he could close his eyes, the eyes of his heart, he could perceive, he could sense things that the Syrian king was about to do to Israel and he would send messengers to the king of Israel and tell him, the Syrian army is going to attack you here, so don't be there. And that's what happened. The the Israelite king would move his soldiers away, the Syrian army would come and they couldn't defeat them. And the king of Syria said, there must be a spy somewhere in my ranks. Must be telling the, the, the Israelite king what's going on. And he searched around, he couldn't find anything. And then one of his servants said, oh, there's a man in Israel called Elisha. And he knows what you are doing and thinking in your bedroom. How could he know that? He had eyes like an eagle from his heart. He could could perceive what this king was talking about in his bedroom. Well, the king of Syria said, right, we're going to send our whole army. Where is this man, Elisha? He's in Dothan. We'll send our whole army and kill him. So there's Dothan and there's the army. The Syrian army came and they surrounded the town. They were going to take it over and kill everybody in it, including Elisha. And Elisha had a servant. Well, his servant looked out the window and he saw this army and he was full of fear. Sometimes we look at things and we're full of fear. And I hope this morning you're going to learn a lesson about the eyes of your heart. How you need them opened. And how God can actually do something to enable you to see things that you can't see otherwise. Well, the servant, he, he turned to Elisha and said, They're they're going to attack you. They're going to attack us. They're going to kill us. And Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes. Well, his eyes were open. He could see the Syrian army. No, Elisha prayed he would open his eyes, the eyes of his heart to see things that other people could not see, like Elisha saw. And he prayed, God, open his eyes that he may see, truly see. And then the servant went back and he had another look out the window and what did he see? What did he see? Angels, chariots, soldiers in heaven surrounding the Syrian army. He saw them and immediately... He had peace. 
And God caused that army of heavenly soldiers to round up the Syrian army and lead them away. In fact, to the king of Israel who took them captive. Now, the eagle has eyes that can see things we can't see, but you have eyes that need to be opened by God to see things other people can't see. You can go back to your seats now because I'm going to talk to everybody about how our eyes can be opened to see what other people can't see. All right, thank you for being with me. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are the living God who created us. You created us with physical eyes, but you also created us with eyes in our hearts. And Father, help us this morning, touch us deeply, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened that we would see things that cannot be seen unless you work in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now we've been, uh, last Sunday we started in the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. And I didn't really give much of an introduction as to the context of this letter. But most people believe, most scholars believe today that this letter was not primarily a letter to the Ephesians. It was a letter to all the churches that Paul had visited and been part of. And yes, it went to Ephesus, but actually it was a general letter. You see, rather than the apostle writing a specific message to a particular congregation concerning a definite problem that had arisen, Paul wrote an epistle or a letter that he intended would be circulated to all the churches of Asia Minor. And it explains why Paul refrains from his normal specified greeting to particular individuals in this letter. It seems likely that Paul, toward the end of his life, had a burden to write to the church in general a synopsis of the revelation that was given to him as the apostle of Jesus Christ, a summary of the great truths of Christianity. So here we have in one letter a summary of all the essential truths of the Christian faith. What follows is written on the assumption that this letter was originally written by the apostle to be circulated to a large number of churches. So it's a really good letter to ponder over to, if you're a, a, a Christian and you want a synopsis of your faith, Ephesians is a great place to spend time reflecting. Now, you'll notice this letter, as I mentioned last Sunday, it starts with a, a greeting, uh, with a, a, a declaration of, of affirming who his readers really are. That's you and me as believers. This, remember, this letter is written to believers, not to unbelievers. This is a, a letter to those who put their trust in Jesus. And Paul begins the letter by reminding his readers 
who they are as Christians. This is such an important thing. One of the most important things you and I can do for each other, for those who believe, is to remind each other who we really are in Jesus. Paul says to the saints, and you know, when I've said that to some people, they said, oh, a saint, I'm not a saint. Yes, you are. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you're a saint. Because a true saint is someone who has the Holy Spirit living in them. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves holy of ourselves. That's a worldly thinking idea. Paul addresses these people as saints, holy people set apart by God to be his very own adopted children. That's who a Christian really is. Chosen by God, he says. In his eternal plan from the foundation of the world. Isn't that wonderful to know? That you were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. He had Sharon in his mind. He had Laurie in his mind. He knew you by name. He knew every cell of your being. And if you've come to know Jesus, the foundation is that God chose you. That kind of provides some security, doesn't it? When you're wavering around. He talks about redemption through the blood of Jesus. You've been forgiven of your sins. The blood of Jesus was shed, so your sins are forgiven. We sang about that today. And then last Sunday I talked about the seal of the Holy Spirit. The seal. This is uh, the mark God seals you with his spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you've been sealed by God and predestined for an inheritance. That's who you are. Does that sound good? That's how he starts the letter. And that's how we need to start greeting one another. That's how we need to address each other. We so easily see the faults in each other, don't we? And we so easily gravitate to thinking about those things. Well, Paul doesn't do that. He, he declares with the eyes that are open to God what God sees. I think Arnest prayed this morning that we would be, that God would move, open our eyes to have the eyes of Christ. This is what Paul has here. He has the eyes of Christ about God's people. You know, if you're harboring a criticism, maybe of me this morning, you can't hear. You can't receive. It's not just of me, it's of other people. If you're not understanding and believing and declaring who the Christian person truly is, you'll never be able to receive from them. Because ultimately, the things you really want to receive are coming from God. Well, every Christian needs to be encouraged continually on these foundations. Why? In this world, there is a hostile adversary who opposes everything that is godly and which belongs to the kingdom of heaven. He is described as the accuser of the brethren who's been thrown out of heaven to the earth. This is from Revelation 12. The accuser of the brethren who, it says in Revelation 12.10, was accusing us day and night before the Father before God 
But now he's been thrown down to the earth. So he can't accuse you to God anymore because the blood of Jesus is there, presented to the Father. But he's accusing you here absolutely every single day. And he not only accuses you, but he ends up you accusing other people. Because that's he's feeding you with his thinking. And we need to get free. If we have the eyes of Jesus Christ, we need to get free from the thoughts and the impressions and the words of the accuser of the brethren. Firstly, about ourselves. Because if you're feeling crushed and down and, and you don't really acknowledge who you are in Christ, you'll never be able to be released to impart that blessing to others. But Paul knows this. He knows this letter in Ephesians. How does chapter 6 describe the Christian life? A war. That's why this letter is a general letter on the basic principles of Christianity. We are wrestling, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the world rules of this present darkness. This is Ephesians chapter 6. And so we need to put on the whole armour of God. We need to be equipped with the things God has provided for us to be able to stand against these forces of wickedness and particularly the accuser of the brethren who accuses day and night... You might have been sleeping and had a bad dream and just felt terrible about yourself. I've had lots of these. It's the accuser of the brethren, relentlessly seeking to impart his thoughts into our heads. Well, God wants to replace the accuser's thoughts with his thoughts, and this is what Paul is doing in this, writing this letter. But then, notice, this morning we had in our readings two prayers one of Moses and the lovely refrain that uh, Laurie and Emma brought to us this morning satisfy us in the morning with your love that's a prayer that's a, a, a longing for God to break through from heaven with revelation of his love isn't it that's what you're singing satisfy us with that love in the morning when the sun comes up. What, why is that? That's Moses' prayer because he knows that living in this world, that's not the sort of thing that you regularly receive. You need to receive that from God. So prayer, as, as um, um, Moses identifies, is so important. In fact, I read at the start of the service this morning, Psalm 99 talks about Moses and Aaron and Samuel praying. And tonight you'll hear a message about Samuel praying. Because we're in 1 Samuel. And we're going to talk about the death of Samuel. But here Paul, now today's reading starts having introduced his greeting and affirmation of these readers and who they are. They are believers in Jesus. They are chosen. They are holy. They are saints. They are forgiven and redeemed by the blood. And they have an inheritance sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, For this reason, because you are these people, I've heard of your faith. In the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. 
Is that what we do? Here we are, a congregation. Arnest prayed this morning that we'd be a light shining into the community. So every morning we, we give thanks for Eddie. For Marcia, for Lydia, David. We give thanks. He cuts my hair, I give thanks for him. <laughs> we give thanks for Tuck, for Taraj and Bonnie. For Joey on the desk there and David and Shaminka and Lydia. We give thanks. I hope we do. Because perhaps we don't. But Paul says here, I do not cease to give thanks. Is that a reality in our lives? Is that what we are actually doing? Or have we got harboring in our hearts, you know, judgments of one another you know my wife she reacted to me harshly the other day she didn't actually but I'm just making up something there but there are moments when we don't respond to each other as we should full of the spirit of God but that doesn't change who we are does it and I thank God for this lady so much well Paul is saying we give thanks for, for you. And then he says this, remembering you in my prayers. And now he tells us what he is praying for Christians. This is not for unbelievers. This is for Christians. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I thought we already had that, sealed with the Holy Spirit. But here's Paul praying that we would know be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. If you think you know Jesus, you don't know him well enough yet. And why? Because only as people pray for you, ask people to pray for you, that you will truly know Jesus. That you will actually have experiences of Jesus Christ on an ongoing basis with wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In fact, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Paul, this great man. He is praying that Christians will be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then he prays this amazing thing, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. The only way, the eyes of your heart, did you know you had eyes in your heart? <laughs> yeah, thank you, Marcia, you're being honest this morning. You didn't know that, but the Bible tells you you do. Eyes in your heart that can only be awakened and enlightened as your brothers and sisters pray for you. And here I stand before you this morning. I can tell you, I live on the prayers of the saints. There have been so many people who have prayed for me. They've prayed for me through tremendous trials and troubles. Thank you, Stuart. 
the prayers of the saints, and the Yannis in his prayers were talking about the prayers of rising as incense before the Father. And actually in Revelation 8, it talks about shafts of lightning coming forth from heaven as a result of these prayers. Well, this is the eyes of the heart being enlightened. This is what Elisha prayed for his servant there at Dothan. Oh, Lord, open his eyes that he could see. You know, sadly, I meet so many lovely Christian people. And I need to pray for them more. Because we all need to see what God sees. Instead of looking at others and circumstances and situations through our own eyes and understanding. Now, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. So pray. This is Paul teaching us to pray. And I'm trusting that in Ephesians we're going to learn something about what to pray for each other. Firstly, giving thanks for brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think someone prayed this morning, this is not the perfect church. Absolutely, there is no perfect church. There is no perfect Christian. Only Jesus is perfect. And we are to grow day by day with fresh revelation and understanding and enlightenment of him so that we are conformed to his image. And Paul is making it clear. He doesn't cease to pray and give thanks for these believers asking God to give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Do you know, all of us in life, we need hope. There are circumstances in our lives that can be pretty tough and pretty crushing. In fact, Paul had them. He said, why? We felt so utterly unbearably crushed. We despaired of life itself. Arnest prayed this morning for our clerk of assembly, John Wilson and his wife Paula. Their 39-year-old daughter, who's been ill with anorexia for years, died last week. And they are absolutely feeling deeply their need. Trusting God. But they need God's people to pray that the eyes of their hearts will be enlightened. In the face of this tragedy, and it is a tragedy, that you may know the hope to which he's called you. There are circumstances God allows us to pass through. He allowed Job to pass through them. He allows everyone who truly loves Jesus to be confronted with the powers of darkness as Paul says in Ephesians, you know, we wrestle. And wrestling is a tough thing. I don't know whether my son David's here. Oh, Dave, come up here. You know, re- re- wrestling is hard work. I can't beat him anymore either. We used to wrestle in the bedroom, didn't we? Tag team. He used to be my tag teamer against James and Timothy. You see, get into it, right? <laughs> You just want to hurt me, you know, that's the trouble. (laughs) Wrestling is tough. It's tough. And Paul says that's what we're doing. As Christians, we wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the world rulers of this present darkness. And one of the weapons actually he talks about in Ephesians 6 is prayer, praying at all times in the spirit. 
then we can overcome these powers of darkness that want to encircle us and flood us with their thinking and close our eyes from seeing what God sees. And so Paul knows this. He knows that Christians who are born of the Spirit will be just like Jesus, the little child born in Bethlehem. Now, what did Satan try to do to that little child? He sent the whole, you know, Herod and his forces to kill, destroy, get rid of this, this invasion on earth of heaven. Well, that's who you are. You're an invasion on earth. A heavenly invasion. The Holy Spirit has come to live in you. And Paul knows the importance, the essential nature of who we are requires prayer to sustain this life that God has given us. And so he prays in this way. And you'll see in chapter 3, which is probably my favourite prayer in the whole Bible, another magnificent prayer. And it's for believers. It's not for unbelievers, this. This is not for people who don't know Jesus. This is for people who do know Jesus. And as Paul says at the start of this passage, for this reason, because you are Christians, I pray in this way for you. that you may know the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Do you know I am standing before a glorious inheritance of saints whom God has gathered from different lands and nations to be his children, and we are his children. He even calls them from Chile and Sudan and... India, well, not called Nigeria. She's not Nigerian. She's an Indian, but she's from Nigeria. Is that right? That's right. There's a Nigerian back there. You better talk to this lady. God has gathered in a glorious inheritance, and don't you find when you're with your brothers and sisters and the Spirit is released, don't you find such a blessing in that fellowship? Don't you find the refreshment? Of the Holy Spirit working in love, flowing one to the other? Oh, I tell you what, Lockie, when you played the angel in the Christmas story, I was singing. Sorry, that's what I was doing. It was magnificent. You see, God loves people and he wants us to love each other. But you can't do it unless the eyes of your heart are enlightened, unless you are equipped and given a spirit of wisdom and revelation, unless God convicts you of sin, actually. You know, Neville, he shared with us a few weeks ago how God convicted him of an attitude of judgment towards his brother, Alex, and how when he dealt with this, the heaven just opened up and fell, fell on them. It fell on us too when he shared this story. He didn't condemn him. But he saw something hindering the flow of love in his heart. If you like, he gave him, enlightened his eyes to see truth that set him free. God wants to do that for all of us. But we need to pray for each other. Instead of judging each other, instead of pointing the finger and, you know, this person needs to sort out that problem, we need to pray because when God sorts the problem out, it'll be sorted out properly and this is what Paul is praying for here 
And he goes on to pray. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Do you know there is power available for you today? Supernatural power. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, he raised Jesus from the dead. Have you ever felt dead? <laughs> My wife will tell you over the last few weeks, a few days, one of them feeling dead. I wasn't too dead yesterday though, was I? God just gave us amazing power yesterday. Incredible. You can ask my wife about it. (laughs) She's shaking her head. There is power through the Holy Spirit to raise the dead. But we need to pray for one another for this to happen. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when he was experiencing that utterly unbearably crushed feeling, you also must pray for us. So that we will have testimony and give thanks to God for the answer to many prayers. Immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He's talking about the Holy Spirit and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. And what is Jesus doing today? What is he doing? He is interceding. He is praying. So if we are one with Jesus, we should be continually praying. I think Arnus referred that in his prayer this morning. If we are truly one with Jesus Christ, we should be constantly in prayer. That's why the disciples in Acts 6, they wouldn't even serve tables. They devoted themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Well, friends, there is clear instruction in this letter to all the churches of what we as Christians should be doing for each other. Giving thanks. Praying in accordance with what Paul has uh, recorded for us here. And as we do this, God is going to work. Hearts will be enlightened. Eyes will be opened. Things will be seen that cannot be seen. We'll have eyes like the eagle. We'll see things that other people don't see. And when that is the case, we have faith. For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by a word of Christ. Well, Jesus is interceding for us. He's seated above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age and also in the one to come. I think someone referred to the election when we had the federal election. And it didn't go in the way that perhaps we were all hoping. And I woke up in the morning feeling a bit down. And God said to me, who's on the throne? (laughs) Nothing has changed. Jesus is Lord. He is reigning over all things and working in all things for the good of those who love him. Well, friends... I believe God is speaking to his church at this time to 
renew us from being a house of many other things other than prayer. When Jesus said, my house should be called a house of... And they all said, my house should be a house of... Let this house be a house of prayer and let us pray as the scriptures are teaching us to pray particularly for one another let's pray now